the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, The Synagogue of Satan. That's the Synagogue of Satan, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Mike with the first portion of The Synagogue of Satan. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Two-year-old Chen made international news when pictures of him were posted on the Internet. Now, Chen's father is a rickshaw driver in Beijing, China. And every day, Chen's father goes to work trying to earn a meager living. Now, there's not a lot that he has, nor his family, but they do their best to make ends meet. Now, Chen was born in a communist country that believes the collective is more important than the individual. And millions have died in communist China for the sake of the collective. The individual has been expendable historically. Now, in communist countries, it's not hard to sacrifice the person for the impersonal multitude. In fact, you're taught from an early age what matters is the group, not the person. The individual can be easily replaced, but the country cannot. The cause cannot. And so the person must sacrifice for the greater good. That's the thinking. For Chen's father, every day is another day of hard work in a country that does not care about the future or the individual. Now, Chen's training in the collective has already begun. In other words, he's already got the vital lessons which is preparing him for the future. At the age of two, his father repeats the routine that is already shaping his little life for the distant future. Chen's father is a rickshaw driver, and every day he goes to work trying to make ends meet. Chen's mother is disabled, so she collects rubbish on the side of the road for a living. That's what they do. And Chen's father, before he goes to work, goes through this routine. He chains his little boy to a tree with a padlock or to a post, and he puts that lock around his son's foot, then he leaves for work. Every day the routine is the same. Before his father goes to work, the little boy sees his dad wrap a chain around him, tie him to a pole, and he says, stay here until I get back. Chen's education has already begun in a land that values the collective more than the individual. The gospel of Jesus Christ, dear heart, is the good news. That Christ came to save the world by saving the whosoever who lives in the world. He looked at the vast cosmos. He looked at the universe. He looked at the collective. And He left it all for the sheep, for the one solitary lamb that was lost on the hillside. Jesus came to break the chains that bind the person and the heart of the individual. John 3.16 holds the promise that God so loved the universe, the cosmos, the world, that He sent His only begotten Son, the ultimate individual in the universe. He sent Him out from God to find the most miserable individual in the universe and to take the chains of Satan and to unbind that individual. 
Dear heart, Jesus came for the whosoever of John 3.16. I'd like it before we proceed, if we could read together John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Dear heart, Christ came to save the universe by saving the smallest person in the universe. He came to save the entirety of all that is by saving the person that seemed insignificant to others. God could not save the whole world unless there was a heart full of love for the chained person who lives at the bottom of the deepest hole of hopelessness in this world. For God so loved the world that He gave the ultimate person the ultimate individual, His eternal Son, to save the most miserable individual shackled and tormented at the bottom of the deepest pit occupied by the most wretched demons. Dear heart, Jesus came to save the person. You know, it's no accident that American democracy is not based upon the idea of a collective. If you follow the path and the development of communism historically, it came out of the French Revolution. It was bathed in the ideas of men like Rousseau who taught that in a social contract a person gives up their innate rights and they surrender it to the whole. And you can trace that pattern of thought all the way through the bloody tales of the reign of terror. You can trace it into the Bolshevik Revolution, to the millions that died under Stalin, the millions that died in China. Dear heart, we have a living example in the last hundred years of what it means for a satanic concept to lay hold of human civilization. American democracy was based on the ideas of Scripture. John Locke in his second treatise on government envisioned where the king may have a right to have you go to war, but he cannot take your land away. The king may have a right to call you to service, but he cannot violate your individual rights that God has given you. And so the framers of the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence envisioned a land where innate rights are based on God-given privileges to the individual and that the whole is no more protected than the rights of the minority, the rights of the individual person. So it's no accident that Jesus came to save the universe by coming to save the least and the most insignificant person in the universe. Jesus, when He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, He made a beeline to the synagogue to find the man who was trapped and chained by the devil. The gospel, dear heart, is the good news of a personal salvation that saves us all. The deliverance of the gospel is a kind of deliverance that finds the heart that feels like it is insignificant. And it finds that person and it elevates them into the very presence of God. The freedom and the pardon of the gospel is not some group hug, some corporate feeling of pardon. It is a feeling that comes from the truth that God's righteousness reaches into your personal life and God forgives you. And as we come together to Christ this way, we form a community. In the Gospel of Luke, the synagogue, the place of gathering, the place of religious worship had become a synagogue of Satan. And Christ came to the synagogue to set the captive free. Turn with me to Luke 4, verse 31. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and He was teaching them on the Sabbath. You know, so much is in this verse. Jesus taught the Word of God in the synagogue on the Sabbath. You know, I've had preachers come to me and say, Pastor Mike, aren't you legalistic to be keeping that seventh-day Sabbath? You ever heard that kind of thing? They say, Pastor Mike, I'm a New Covenant, New Testament believer. 
I follow the Lord Jesus and I don't worship on that day. And I like pointing them to verses like this in Luke 4.31 where Christ made it His custom to preach the gospel of the kingdom on the Holy Sabbath day. You see, the Sabbath was the great memorial of God's creative work. After the Exodus, it became the memorial of God's redemptive work. It is a sign, according to Moses, that God made the universe and that He filled it with life and meaning. It is also a sign that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and He redeemed them with a mighty hand. You can't separate the Sabbath from salvation history in the Bible. And in Genesis 2, 1 and 2, I like the way it is introduced for the very first time. The Bible says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. You see, on the seventh day, God finished everything that He had made for who knows how long in the process. The entire universe came together. The heavenly beings saw the culmination of His creative power. And Adam and Eve were there too. And it says in verse 2, On the seventh day God finished His work which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. Dear heart, the Bible teaches that life is incomplete unless there's rest. The Bible teaches that life is incomplete for angels. Unless they come and they worship God on the seventh day, it's incomplete for you and me too. Unless we find God and enter His rest. The Sabbath is the sign of God's rest. And it teaches humanity that we are finished by faith before we start. You know, the first full day of life for Adam and Eve was the Sabbath. They were made on the sixth day. And before they had a full day to do anything, they had a full day of worship engaging in the experience of knowing the living God in a covenant relationship with Him. It's no accident that the Hebrew word seven is the very same word for oath. It is used interchangeably in Genesis 21 with the word covenant. The seventh day is the oath day, the promise day, the covenant day. And so Moses will say without apology in Exodus 31 that the Sabbath is everlasting covenant. It is God's promise made at creation that He would bless us and He would keep us and He would hold us close to His heart of rest and He would never leave His created order. It's no accident that when Jesus died on the cross, He said, it is finished. You see, John says without apology that God the Father has set His seal upon the Son. The sign and seal of the everlasting covenant is the seventh day Sabbath. As Christ died, He said, it is finished. On the seventh day, God finished His work, which He had done. And when Christ was in that tomb on Sabbath, the work of our salvation was a done deal. He finished His work on the seventh day. It teaches us that God has accomplished for us something that we cannot accomplish for ourselves. He has brought us into relationship even after sin. And God's work and God's rest must be received by faith. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus offered the great invitation to everyone who will hear it. To anyone who will respond, He said, Come unto Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the word He uses in the Greek here is anapausis. It is the Greek word in the Septuagint Old Testament for Sabbath rest. Come unto Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you the rest of the seventh day of creation. I will give you the finished work of God in your life. I will set your soul free. I will take the chain away from your neck. And I will cause your soul to fly and give you hope again. Come unto Me. In Revelation 14.11, at the end of time, the worshipers of the beast 
and His image have no rest day or night. And again, this same Greek word is used, Sabbath rest. Christ came to set the final generation free. He came for Christians at the end of time who are too busy in their way of life. He came to them in the Gospel to set them free. And at the end of time, there will be a renewal of Sabbath keeping. The Bible teaches very clearly. And Luke is very careful in the context. He says He taught them on the Sabbath day. So you don't mind if I do what Jesus did. I'm going to teach you on the Sabbath day in keeping with Christ's own custom. Now there are people today in the Christian church who need to hear the Gospel preached on the Sabbath day. Now I think it's okay to preach the Gospel any day. But there's something special about following the example of Jesus and preaching the Sabbath on the seventh day. And I believe that many Christians need to experience what Christ offered on the day He offered it. Now Jesus' Word formed the world in seven days. We know that He is the Creator. The Bible is very clear about that. And that same Word, think about it, was preaching the good news of the Kingdom of God on the day that He finished His work. Christian preachers who follow Jesus are not legalists if they keep the seventh day Sabbath. They're following Christ's example. Now look at Luke 4.32. And it says, And they were astonished at His teaching, for His Word was with authority. Now the Greek word translated astonished means literally blown away. They were blown away by Jesus' teaching, for His Word was with authority. When He spoke, I mean, the synagogue moved. Hearts were changed. Lives were impacted. It wasn't static speech. It was dynamic speech. This is the second time in the Gospel of Luke this word authority has been used. And it's deliberately used here in this verse. The first time is in Luke 4-6 when the devil came to Christ in the wilderness and Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth. It says in a stigma, a prick of time. And he says, they'll all be yours and I'll give you all their authority if you will bow down and worship me. He says in verse 6 of Luke 4, For it has been delivered to me, I will give it to whom I will. All this authority and glory, I'll give it to you. Just worship at my feet. Now think about it. The devil offered Jesus all authority if he would chain himself to the evil one and if he would bow down to the king of this world and accept his kingdom as his own. Now Christ's authority in the Gospel of Luke is authority over the devil and the demons. You know, we live in an age today and people don't even believe in devils and demons. You know, I know there are devils and demons. You know how I know this? I've seen them in church. I have. I've seen them in church. I've been to enough nominating committees to know that demons are alive and well. We haven't had a nominating committee here in 10 years. You know that? Amen. Because we believe that gifts are the basis of ministry. You don't have to force someone to serve God. But I have been in nominating committees where you'd see elders and saints just lose it. They get these faces like, you don't want so-and-so serving the church. Do you know what they did? And on one occasion, a guy pulled out a 30-page manuscript chronicling the counsel against a sister who had certain issues in her life. And what was amazing was, in a church that I had attended way back, this guy ate into this lady... She was new. She'd just been baptized. His own wife would not serve as a treasurer. Was trying to hold the church hostage. But saying, I'm not going to do this unless I get my way. And so I said, I accept your resignation. And so I allowed this new saint to come in. And she had some issues in her life, but she could keep the books well. And boy, they went after her. 
I don't want to go into the details of it, but I'm telling you that the devil's in the church on occasion. I know there are demons because I've seen them in church. Now, Christ's authority in the Gospel of Luke is authority over the devil and the demons. Christ taught us by example that you cannot have authority to speak the truth if you partner with evil. So he did not accept Satan's authority in the wilderness. He rejected it. He accepted the authority of God's word. It is written, he said. And the devil crumbled in his first temptation. It is written. And the devil's offer failed the second time. It is written. And the devil flees from him the third time. You know, there's power and authority in God's Word. You know, this business of saying, I have authority. I will call upon the Lord to do this and that. You know, I don't want to hear that kind of thing. You know where authority is, dear heart? When you take your Bible... You get on your knees and you ask God to take the Word of God and to make it alive in your life. You ask God to change your heart, not somebody else in the church, but to change you by the authority of the Word of God. That's when the power of God is manifest. And Christ realized that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The devil offered Jesus authority if he would partner with evil. And Christ said, I don't want your authority. Jesus chose to die of hunger instead of choosing Satan's kind of authority. I would rather die looking at stones that I have the power to turn into bread rather than accept your authority and give my faith away. The only authority Christ recognized was the Word of God. And the only bread He needed to live was the Word of God. Christ taught with authority in the synagogue because He had rejected the devil's twisted kind of authority in the wilderness. He said no to the world. He said no to the principalities and powers of this planet. And as soon as the word authority is introduced the second time in Luke 4.32, here we have for the second time an encounter with a demonic power in Luke 4.33. The authority of Jesus and His teaching is at war with the authority of the devil and His angels. Luke 4.33 And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice. Now Luke says this man was in the synagogue. There's so much in that phrase. The demoniac was someone who wasn't in the streets. He wasn't a person worshiping a pagan temple. He wasn't in some institution writhing on the floor. He was in the synagogue of all places. Perhaps he was a leader in the church. A deacon, an elder, a worshiper. The synagogue was the place where people read the Torah. He came to church maybe with a Bible under his arm. That's where you say your morning and evening prayers. Is it not in a house of faith? That's where testimonies are given. That's where the teachers of the law gather to discuss the Scriptures and to teach them to others. The man with the demon was there. It's an imperfect verb in the Greek. He didn't just suddenly show up. He didn't arrive. He didn't pop in. He had been there. He belonged to the synagogue. He was part of the life of the church. Boy, this is radical. The synagogue was the home for the demoniac. It's not the place you'd expect a demon to live. Inside the church. But there he was. Inside the church. Luke 4.32 clearly teaches that demons go to church and they can on occasion be found inside the church in the people who attend. It's very likely there's one here today. I'm serious. It's very likely there's one here today. In verse 33, Luke says, the demon cried out with a loud voice. The Greek is phone. Megale. And we get our word megaphone from it. The demon raised his voice and he started shouting at Jesus. 
And like I said, I've been on certain nominating committees where a brother who'd washed my feet at communion service would come to me and just open up his eyes and start shouting at me unless he got his way in the nominating committee. And that wasn't here, that was somewhere else. This can happen. You know, dear heart, when we work in the service of God, there's absolutely no place for an outburst of anger because it's not the spirit of Jesus, is it? Are we not to minister in the spirit of the one who gave us the good news? And whatever ministry we have, it is part of a larger good where we care about others and we minister in the spirit of the Lord. Luke 4.34, the demon is speaking, Ah, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Ah. Now, paradoxically, the demon speaks some truth here. He recognizes Jesus as the one who will destroy them all at some point in the future. And he knows that he is the Holy One sent by God to defeat evil. The demons used to worship with Jesus before they fell. They knew him. In fact, he used to be their commander before they chose another ruler. The devils have acknowledged Christ's existence. They have a knowledge of who he is. They know him. They can recognize him. But they have no saving faith in Jesus. They believe and tremble, but they do not believe and surrender to his word. They know about him, but they don't know him anymore as Lord and Savior and friend. They have cut off the connection that binds the living Christ to their heart. Now, the English word awe in the Greek is a word that was used by the Greek Attic poets to describe a cry of fear or indignation. The word is a frail attempt to translate a demonic screeching sound that erupts from the throat of one who is controlled by rage or fear. And I don't even want to try to mimic it, but I imagine it's something like my dog Avalanche that he makes. You know, and the whole neighborhood's listening. Luke 4:34. Ah, that's the screeching sound. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. Now, so much is said in this one verse. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The demons perceive that Jesus' teaching is a direct attack on their power and authority. Christ had invaded the temple of the demons and He had claimed their sacred ground as heaven's ground again. And so there was a war, a conflict operative here. And when the demons speak in the Bible, they speak as a collective, not in the singular, but the plural. The same ideas that came out of the French Revolution that have shaped so much of the history of the earth in the last 200 years that have brought so much blood and carnage. We find the same language coming out of the devil's mouth. They have lost their individuality inside the collective. They have become one with the program of sin. The kingdom of evil is greater than any one of them. And they have become lost in the whole and the legion. They say in another place, we are legion. They speak as the many, not the one. The demon speaks and he says, what have you to do with us? Satan's kingdom strips a person of the power to think and to be. Satan's kingdom robs the heart of freedom to act, freedom to grow, freedom to dream, hope for the future. The kingdom of demons dominates the individuality and the personality. It steals the soul of its right to worship and express itself with love and freedom and dignity. Dear heart, we have in this land freedom of worship. We have Christian principles that have guarded our rights to worship God, to fall on our knees and to rise and praise Him with holy hands without someone saying it's illegal. 
What we enjoy in this country is a divine privilege that will not always be with us. The demons know who Jesus is. But they don't care about freedom. They chain the individual. They make him part of the collective. And they don't like Jesus because Christ came for the whosoever of John 3.16. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus never dialogued with demons. You know, in all the spiritual warfare talk that we hear in our present culture, you hear people engaging in dialogue with demons. Christ never dialogued with demons. He never attended a seance where they could talk back. He never read tarot cards. He didn't play with Ouija boards. He never watched The Exorcist or any other movie like it that Hollywood produces. Join us next time for the conclusion to The Synagogue of Satan. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. Spiritualism in a variety of forms is making its way through the Western world. The afterlife, the spirit world and spirit mediums can be found in movies, best-selling books and popular TV programs. These themes are making their way into our children's entertainment even. We had this free book to help you understand things a little bit better entitled Dark Tunnels or Bright Lights. This book candidly reveals biblical truth about this subject and pulls the curtain aside to reveal why there is so much interest in this topic. The book reveals the deceptions of spiritualism based on biblical teachings so that you can confidently discern truth from error as the topic continues to gain momentum across all levels of society. Now, this book is absolutely free. You can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.